Welcome to Grace Notes. Barbara Sandbeck has been talking about trials as they relate to building our character. Today, she'll conclude this series with a personal assessment of why trials occur and how God uses them to help us work out our salvation. We'll see the benefits we can receive as we allow ourselves to be clay in the potter's hands. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I received an email from a believer who wasn't experiencing the joy of his salvation. He questioned many things most of us have thought, but have never verbalized. I drafted a reply, and I prayed constantly as I wrote. A few hours later, he called to say that it was just what he needed. Praise God! I realized that there must be many people in the same position. So today, I want to take this time to tell you what I wrote. Maybe it's what you need, too. Here's the response. God created us for fellowship with Him. Animals can't reason like we can. We're made in God's image and His likeness. His image is His three-part personhood like our body, soul, and spirit. And His likeness is His character, often referred to as His glory. We are made for eternity. Eve's decision to choose to know evil over just the knowledge of good brought sin into the human race, and with it came the things that evil brings, fear of death, hate, anger, consequences, physical death. But what we perceived to be the curse of death in reality was a blessing, because had we been able to physically live eternally, we'd have no chance to be with God in heaven. We'd be stuck in this sin-filled world forever. At the point where Adam and Eve sided with Satan, God could have removed himself from the scene and allowed only evil to reign, but he didn't. He still desires fellowship with us, and he shows us himself through creation and through his word. God's desire is to give us back His likeness or glory that we lost because of sin. 
Sure, it's not our fault Eve sinned, but God made the way for us to regain the glory. Yes, God knew we would sin too, but he knew he could restore that fellowship through his son. So it was worth it to create us. The penalty for our sin is eternal death, with only evil present. But Christ died and rose again to pay that penalty and remove our sin so we can be with the Father. You see, it's the greatest love story ever told. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This verse says that we're not hideous in God's sight. He loves us, though he hates the sin in us. No wonder it thwarts his efforts for our best. I realized not long ago that asking God to forgive you of your sin and save you isn't really what he's looking for. Ultimately, that's what our prayer boils down to. But the real issue is that we admit that we need and want him in our lives and that we're willing to walk in his right way. Sin is anything we do apart from God's will for us. And God's will is good, perfect, and pleasing. Walking in it sets us free to be all he created us to be. It's there that we find our roots. We are seen as righteous in his sight, not sinners when we're saved. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, meaning we're not once we believe, Christ died for us. He took our sin and he suffered its shame so that we'd be free to be slaves of righteousness rather than slaves to sin. We're given the power to say no to evil because of the Holy Spirit in us. Sure, we sin, but it doesn't have to be a lifestyle. God gives us a conscience to help us know good from evil. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit convicts, but once we forsake our sin, he comforts. The opposite is true of Satan. He convicts and he condemns. As a believer, God has forgiven you as far as the East is from the West. You are a child of the King. You're a royalty. Don't forget it. He seated you positionally in the heavenly realms, and he has a wonderful plan for your entire life that will satisfy you should you choose to seek it. He's building a mansion for you even now. In fact, all he does, he does for you. You're not a number. Isaiah 43.1 says he knows your name. He's redeemed you with a high price. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows your tears. How much more personal a God could you want? God imparts salvation in us, but tells us in Philippians 2.13 to work it out. 2 Peter 1.3-10 shows how God wants us to recoup the glory. It says, His divine power, or Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He's given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone doesn't have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed 
from his past sins. Therefore, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't be a fence-sitter and expect to be at peace. If you aren't making every effort to add to your faith the qualities mentioned, then your faith will wane, and you'll be in constant torment, wondering if you're saved or good or whatever. It takes time to build these things into your life. You can't cop out every time a trial comes. You do yourself an injustice by not pursuing the things that a king's kid should. You can't live on emotions. Faith's not a feeling. That makes God seem good to us only when things are going good. We don't choose to serve God because we feel like it. We do it because that's what we're called to do. It's what we're made for. And the sooner you accept that fact, the better off you'll be. The thing we need to remember is that we are not of this world. We're of another kingdom. We're just passing through, doing a job for our Father, and soon we'll be spending a lot more time in that peaceful, sinless land. And there we'll be happy. God never said we'd be happy here. In fact, he said that should we choose to follow Christ, we'll suffer. The world didn't accept Christ, and they're not likely to accept his disciples. It's a tough calling. You'll falter unless you have eternity in view. My prayer for you is that you'll seek God just to know him, not for what you can get. Study his word. Talk to him. Tell him exactly how you feel and do what he tells you to do one step at a time. Walking with the Lord will ultimately give you the greatest satisfaction. All that I am, all that I have, I lay them down before you, O Lord. All my regrets and all my acclaim, my joy and my pain, I'm making them yours. Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through. Use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you. As a
You've been listening to Grace Notes. Thanks for joining the program. If this program has blessed you, please write and tell us at Sandbeck Ministries, P.O. Box 581, Falston, Maryland, 21047, or email us through our website at www.sandbeckministries.com. In order for us to stay on this station, we need to hear from you, so please write. Join us again on our next program. Until then, let your grace notes be a song of praise.